It's pretty common that uh, old people struggle with new technology. And people like to make fun of that, but you have to think in the days to come, you will get old. And in the days when you get old, are you going to struggle with technology? And the answer is yes. Now, I try to keep up with technology, but I've also already seen that in some ways I've fallen off. Like there's some things I know about, and then there are huge swaths of technology that I don't understand at all. I used to think of myself as fairly tech savvy. Now I'm functional. So I'm assuming in the next decade or two, I'm going to be struggling. I mean, you have to imagine when I talk to my grandkids and I'm like, why in my eyes does my neural link show that it's the time in Greenwich Meridian instead of local time? And my grandkids are like, oh my God, grandpa, you're so dumb. You're so useless. You don't even know how to reset your neural link with the uh, extra net because the internet is not a thing anymore. It's all external that we're all connected to all the time. And I had my USB in my neck installed backwards, making it always very awkward to put the USB in my neck. And that's, that's what's coming. And so I'm just trying to stay abreast of technology so that I can not be a complete idiot. Now, because I enjoy technology, I'm hoping it lasts longer. Like I, I play the video games, I make the podcast, I like to learn things. If I can just keep that spirit alive, I'll at least know stuff. I, maybe I don't, uh, I'm not proficient, but I will understand things. And that's kind of the most important part. Uh, a lot of older people in Japan, and that's most people, if we're being honest, they don't want to apply for the My Number card. My Number card is basically a social security card of sorts. It's not because you already have one of those if you're Japanese. It's a different card. The government wants to unify its information. So your health card. So if I go to the hospital or I go to a clinic, I have to bring my national health card. I use that to get my national rates. Like I don't want to pay full price for medicine. I want to get my whatever percentage I'm supposed to get. So socialized medicine in Japan, very good. Uh, I can get medicine at reasonable rates. It's cheaper to go to the doctor and get medicine and then go to like the, the proper pharmacist than it is to buy over-the-counter drugs. So if I buy allergy medicine, something I buy every year, I can get 30, 40 days worth of allergy medicine for about a thousand yen. If I buy over the counter, it's going to be like 10, 15 days for more than that, probably 15, 1600. The reason older people don't want to apply for the My Number card is they find it difficult to remember the password. And so this is it. When you, you create this card, you have to create a password. And if you forget it, okay, that could cause you problems down the line. So they're like, you know what? I just don't want to do it. I just don't want to create the card in the first place because I'm not obligated to. The government really wants everyone to have a My Number card. From November, you can choose not to set a password. Now, as I said, I'm not a technological expert, but I do have a, a base proficiency with technology and I do follow the news a lot. I can see absolutely no problems with having password unprotected information connected to your no nah, i have to how do I, how do you phrase it i can see no problem with having your national health insurance and other personal information non-password protected 
Now they're saying that if there's no password, you won't be able to do stuff. You won't be able to use the stuff online, which these old people wouldn't be doing anyways. But a lot of the Ninja News Japan is scams. And those scams prey upon old people. And so if we know the old people have cards that are unprotected, there's got to be a way to abuse that system. And that is going to be, that was literally my first thought, not that I was coming up with a scheme to abuse them, but my first thought was someone's going to find cards without passwords and then try to find a way to abuse the system to either get medicine they could resell or get medicine at such a discount or something. It's scams. That's what they do. I'm, I'm waiting for this to go through in November and then January, the stories start coming out of old people losing a bunch of money or something via the my number card with no password. Recently, one of the problems is the, the people in charge of my number were investigated as some of the cards were registered with other people's personal information, like their address and stuff. So that with the password is already showing there's already problems and mistakes with the my number card system. Done a lot of stories recently about the Pokemon thefts. And Pokemon cards have become a common target for thieves. Uh, stores get broken into. Uh, last week we did the guy who got scammed. He bought like on a reseller website. And the guy who resold the stuff had filled real boxes with juice boxes. And I made like a very extended joke about just using the word box too much. It's very well done. Considering it's not scripted. Very well done. I think you should go back and listen to that one. A company executive sold five fake Pokemon cards at a secondhand store for 283,000 yen. They were specifically from a Tokyo Art Museum event, which actually shows the level of Pokemon in Japan, that you, they have Pokemon events with national museums. Like that's, I, I, I guess they would have other events, but it's just, it shows the level of Pokemon in society when they have like art exhibits for Pokemon. It like, not just a museum, like a local one. I can, oh, that's neat. This is like Tokyo art museum. That's, that's a big deal. Uh, the owner said these seemed off. Maybe the quality of the paper, they were a little grainy, something like that. So he called the police and he got the police. The police got the Pokemon company to send out someone to appraise the cards, which is a whole world I was unaware of. There are people who work for Pokemon whose, I don't know about singular job, but probably primary job is to be able to appraise the reality and value of Pokemon cards. Because of the rarity of the cards, some of these cards are selling for 100,000 yen, maybe even upwards. So you can make a lot of money if you can get the rare, rare, rare cards. The suspect was then contacted because the appraiser for the Pokemon company said these were not real. These were counterfeit cards. Uh, he claims he didn't know they were counterfeit and the police are su- still investigating. I'm interested where this ends up because either he, yeah, he, he committed a crime and got caught or he legitimately bought these cards thinking they were real and he got screwed over. So Japan, Korea, and the United States, they're... Working together, they're trying to work together more. I'm very happy about South Korea and Japan working together more because I really think these two countries, I know they have a very hard history, but I think together they would be a force 
to be reckoned with. And, and, and values-wise, actually both countries have very, what I consider, positive values. And the United States, sort of that backing of the United States is making them more stable and the economy will get better. And I just think it's good stuff. Uh, a lot of this actually comes down to China keeps trying to exert pressure and create tension in Asia. So Japan, South Korea, and the United States, they're talking. They're like, hey, China's all very uppity. Maybe we got it together and take care of stuff. You share information, stuff like that. And everyone's like, yeah, this is great. Except China's like, hey, that's not cool. So recently there was a summit of some sort. I actually stopped caring. There's so many summits, the G7 summit, all these summits. I don't really care anymore. Uh, this Chinese ambassador uh, guy comes out and he goes, no matter how blonde you dye your hair, how sharp you shape your nose, you can never become a European or American. You can never be a Westerner. You must know where your roots lie. So he's, oh, and further, Japan and South Korea should work with China to prosper together and revitalize East Asia, revitalize Asia, and benefit the world. Uh, weirdly, none of them have taken this seriously. South Korea and Japan have not taken this call to their roots seriously. And it might be because China keeps a more exclusionary attitude when it comes to every other instance. They have uh, flown airplanes over Japanese airspace. They have taken like aircraft carriers and uh, sailed them really close to Japan, like just right out of legal limits and stuff. They're always banging heads with everyone in Asia. And then here they are saying like, hey man, why don't you guys want to work with us? And it's like, dude, you keep kind of threatening to blow us up. There have been stories in Indonesia, Japan of... Chinese diplomats and high-level uh, politicians basically threatening to wipe everyone else in Asia off the map on more than one occasion. They aren't taking it primarily seriously because of the nature of China towards Taiwan. Taiwan is an independent nation. It's part of China. Uh, nobody knows. Uh, Taiwanese people, they think they're independent and they want to keep it that way. That's not working out for them. North Korea, very supported by China. Uh, Japan and South Korea, they all sort of have their issues with North Korea. North Korea keeps shooting missiles over Japan, if you want to be specific. And there's the abduction issues. There was a bunch of people. This is sort of history. Uh, North Korea abducted a bunch of Japanese nationals and South Korean nationals and brought them back to North Korea. And they haven't returned them. And uh, no one knows if they're alive or dead. And it's a big problem. China in its conflict, oh, China, Russia in its conflict with Ukraine, China's uh, kind of on Russia's side. And so basically the fundamental philosophical differences, Japan, South Korea are diametrically opposed to China. So this call to remember your roots, I don't see how that's really going to work out. I don't see how you can say, hey, look, you and I, we disagree on everything, but we were, we, we come, it's actually like maybe my sister and I. So if you met me and then you met my sister, you would see two people who are very different. We are, we just, we have different values. Now she's not a bad person. I hope I'm not a bad person. I don't want to talk about it unless I got to get some, like someone to back me up. 
But our fundamental philosophies about life and how you should live life differ. And I essentially, we just stay away from each other. And it works out fine uh, because she doesn't try to impose her lifestyle on me and vice versa. I don't tell her how to live her life. China, on the other hand, is telling other Asian nations how to live their lives and that they should sort of succumb to um, China's power. But it would be like going to me and saying, you, despite the fact you agree with everything your sister thinks, should align yourself with your sister because you come from the same family, because you come from the same house, that kind of thing. And that's just not how it works out. China then went on to declare that the U.S. is exaggerating ideological differences to sow confrontation and division. Now, Japan and America have had a very positive relationship overall. Like there's issues, of course, there's always going to be issues between two different countries, but overall they have a very positive relationship. And this sowing ideological differences and confrontation Again, if you go back through the, the vast library of Ninja News Japan stories and just go through everyone where China is mentioned, I think you're going to see a lot of stories of China almost purposefully sowing confrontation and division when they don't even have to. So a while back, we did a story about a kid who had cornrows. So his uh, one of his parents was black. One of his parents is Japanese. He has kind of puffy hair. Um, and he was going to go to his high school graduation. So he, his, he said to his, my, his dad, he's, you know, I want to sort of look neat. What's a good hairstyle? And he goes, a cornrows, sort of traditional hairstyle for our people. So let's do that. So he went to a salon, got cornrows. I have never had cornrows. I think it's illegal for a man of my complexion to get cornrows. But he went to a salon. I do know it takes a long time. So he put a lot of effort into making his hair look good. He shows up at graduation. The teachers... I'm like, no, man, I don't, I don't like that haircut. So you don't get to graduate today. So when they, they, they put him in a different room upstairs, said, when they call your name, you don't come downstairs. And he just left. And then they tried to like, mm. well, he decided to leave. Well, he decided to leave because you guys stuck him in a room and told him he wasn't going to be allowed to graduate. I really like the follow-up to this story just recently. Uh, a group of volunteers for Juneteenth decided to have their own ceremony. And it was better with way cooler hair. I could get into the details. I, I mean, there's, you don't really need, they basically, they got up, they had a graduation, they had a whole thing going on. And they're like, hey, we'd like to celebrate this kid. He graduated from high school. He came up to the front. He said, you know, thank you. I feel special. Uh, I feel more accepted. And his story has kind of made it clear that, again, Japan as a country is changing. You got more and more mixed kids. Uh, Japan as a society is less homogenous. And progress is going to have these hiccups, but it is going to happen, especially with supportive people out in the world. So I, I think that is a very nice palate cleanser, a very nice little story about people saying, that kid's important. Since we're talking about schools, the city of Iruma doesn't want to standardize, standardize school uniforms as abolishing schools' traditions. Uh, let me start the whole thing again. City of Iruma doesn't want to standardize school uniforms as abolishing schools' traditional uniforms would have a negative effect on students. And I was like, what negative effect? Because... Okay, I know school uniforms in Japan, high school to high school, are technically different. But for the boys, it's a blazer. Uh, they might be slightly different colors. The girls do talk about the skirts and stuff. But if you standardize them all, there's not really anything to complain about anymore. 
you just need, again, like a symbol or something to show what high school you go to, if that's important. The fact that you go to high schools enough, again, this like tiered system of this high school is better than that high school and stuff. I don't see any value in that. So I was like, what are the negative effects? And then uh, someone else actually quite smartly asked the same question, said uh, it would be diminishing pride and their sense of belonging. But again, they could belong to the high school group, the high school demographic. Uh, the reason they started talking about this is they were talking about the differences in price in different school uniforms. Uh, so in 2023, there was a 16,000 yen difference between the highest and lowest priced school uniform. Uh, for boys, the expense, oh, the cheap end was 50,930 yen, not dollars. And the high end was 66,700 yen. So Depending on what uniform you get or what school you go to, you're going to be spending more or less money. These things are expensive. And so what this is actually about is if we can standardize the price, we could buy in bulk, we could make more, uh, we could make them cheaper. And that would help out mid to lower income families not spend a ton of money. They have another thing in Japan where all the kids have to get this backpack, this leather backpack. It's called Land Sale. I don't know where that name comes from. I should actually look into that because it is interesting. But now my kids are too old. They don't use them anymore. They are stupid. They're like 50, 60,000 yen. They're ridiculous. Now they do use them for a long time, so they got to be sturdy. But oh man, give me 20,000 yen. I'll get you a backpack that's going to last five years. Uh, girls, the low end is 70,000 543 yen and the high end is 84,830 yen. So if you are a boy and you get the cheapest uniform, you get 50,000 yen. If you're a girl and you get the cheapest uniform, it's 20,000 yen more. If you are a girl and you get the most expensive uniform, it's 84,000 yen. This was justified because they all wear vests. The vests come with the female uniform and uh, justified because of the fabric, the high end uh, uniform. In another prefecture, they standardized the uniforms and it brought the price down to six to 8,000 yen cheaper. So the low end, 50,000 yen uniform, you could drop that by 6,000, you're talking about like 45,000 yen. So it's again, these uniforms, they're important in one way, but it's so stupid because it's the importance is constructed and I don't believe it. But I went to a high school where I wore t-shirts and jeans every day. So maybe that was my uniform. I don't know. Uh, I just don't put value in this. I understand. I, I actually am okay with the uniform system. I think the uniform system, though, should be designed to be affordable. I like when the schools decided to go unisex, so everyone just got pants and a shirt and a jacket. And if the girls wanted skirts, that was extra, but that was a choice. Um, I liked when they made them from Uniglo, so they were like 10, 20,000 yen. Because, yes, we paid for it, but it was expensive, and it sucked. Okay, so the story, a big international story, is that a guy vandalized the Coliseum. He put his name, I think him and his girlfriend's name on it. I did like when we, I read that story that his excuse was he didn't know the Coliseum was of historical importance. That's what his lawyer said. So he did it and he got in trouble. He's looking at like five years in prison and he's crying going like, no, please don't send me to prison. I don't want to go to prison. Well, dumb shit. Not only did you vandalize it, you put your stupid name on it. Well, this thing happens all over the place. And in Japan, pretty much every building is a historical site of some sort. A 17-year-old boy 
violated the cultural properties protection law. So that's like the law of if it's historically important, uh, don't touch it. So this is kind of like keep your hands to yourself law. He carved letters using his fingernails. So he was at like a, a temple. And temples are made of wood. So if you have like a, a strong fingernail, I was like looking at mine like I couldn't do that. But I cut my fingernails all the way down for judo. So it's a different story and you don't care. So he was used to maybe he had a long fingernail or a strong fingernail and he started carving his name. He carved a big J and then he wrote Julian. Uh making it incredibly clear who it is. Now, here's, here's an idea. What if you'd written someone else's name? So you get the thrill of vandalizing and making your mark in a historical site. Okay, so this is something I did. I, my first year of university, I fucked up housing. I didn't get an apartment. I thought I was going to get campus housing and then it was full and I didn't get it and it ended up in the lottery system and it didn't look like I was going to get it. Uh, my university has a frat system, the Greek system. So they had frat houses. Now, I had no intention of joining a frat, but they had empty rooms. And it's better for them to have people in those rooms paying a little rent than it is to have those rooms empty and not making any money at all. So I ended up, for my first year of university, living in a frat house where I was not a member of the frat, which is a really weird. The, when I say the whole sentence out loud, I just think that is one of the weirdest things. Uh, that's ever happened. They did spend the entirety of the year trying to get me to join the frat. I was not interested at all. Uh, and it was a very, I mean, as far as I had to live with another guy, but it was, it was fair. Um, I think they pressured my roommate to get me to join. So it's like, Hey, Peter likes judo. You should join the judo club and be really close friends with Peter. And then he'll join the frat. And then uh, we'll get $365 a year. Cause you got to pay a dollar a day for these guys to be your friends. That was back uh, when I went to university, so it's probably a lot more now. So this guy joined judo, but he, I don't know if he had any real interest in judo. And so basically, he also has a weird attitude. And uh, I've now gotten into judo stories. I explained, like, don't do this step or you'll get thrown. And he was looking at me like, haha, I'm going to do this step. And then I, he did the step and I threw him. I said, look, this is, this is just going to get worse. The more you do this one move the harder the counter gets. And he was like, ha I got you now. And then he did it really big. And he, I did it like three, four, five times. And I got really frustrated because I was trying to help him. And so then I just threw him super, super hard and just ran him into the floor. And like, uh, he, he lost his breath for a minute. He didn't get hurt, but he was uh, shaken. We'll put it that way. He didn't last very long in judo. Again, because I don't think he wanted to be in there in the first place. Uh, anyways, I was living in this frat house. Overall, not the worst experience, not as bad as I certainly thought it was going to be because I thought I would live there and look for another place to live. And then I ended up just riding it out for the entire year. The guys were fine. They didn't have any, it wasn't like the movies, like the Greek, Greek system in American comedy movies. But I was on, they had like a little balcony. It was wood and it was really cheap. And I was standing there and I started very much like this kid just scraping. I think I had a fork or a knife and just scraping into it. I was like, oh, I should vandalize this because I don't really like the Greek system or whatever. Uh, and, and someone in the house had pissed me off. I was like, but if I write my name, they can track it back to me because it's my name. They're, if I write Chunk chest on something, they're like, hey, I think I know who did that. So I wrote Fuzzy Zellweger, which is a golfer. I don't know anything about golf. I've, I've played golf like with my uncle once and I've gone to driving ranges. 
I've gone to driving ranges a few times, but I don't really follow golf. So I don't know why this golfer's name was in my head at that moment. Maybe it just seemed to connect to the frat system for me or something. So I vandalized their house with the name of a famous golfer who never had been there, uh, figuring that if they were like, who wrote this? And then you could just look at it and go, well, apparently Fuzzy Zellweger wrote it. And uh, that's my vandalization story. And I never got in trouble or went to jail because I'm smarter than the two fucking idiots who did it elsewhere. Dave, Dave just moved in the background. He was in his, his little bed and it's hot. So he goes in the bed and then he goes and he stretches out next to that big pillow. Sometimes he lies on top of the pillow, but he stretches out as long as he can. He's a very long dog for how small he is. He's got very long, sexy legs.